0: Welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest and I live here in Austin, Texas. I've had the gift of recovery since December the 27th of 1972 and really grateful to a great many people uh, who helped me all along the way. Purpose of these podcasts is to go a little bit deeper into the history, the spirituality, and the psychology of uh, 12-step programs. Help uh, people uh, who, especially who've been around for a while and want to want to learn some more, and uh, those who are new who want to get a head start on things. I hope it's helpful for you. We'd love to hear from you. Go to our website. We have a website called Two-Way Prayer, and while you are there, you can learn about the form of prayer that they did in early AA and uh, came out of the Oxford Group. We're going to be talking about that today, and be sure to sign up for our newsletter while you're there. I mentioned uh, recently that I'm working on a new book. It's going to be on the subject of two-way prayer. Hope to have it out maybe by early next spring. And uh, what we're doing now is a little short series, maybe three or four uh, episodes on uh, some of the early chapters in the book. And in the last episode, we we looked at the history of the Oxford group, how two-way prayer emerged out of it, And we looked at how important it was for members of the pioneer groups, uh, the AA groups in the early days, how, what an important role two-way prayer played for them. And we kind of left off the the podcast asking two questions. So if two-way prayer was so important to the members of the group, how come it isn't referenced specifically in the big book? And then the second question, why isn't this prayer practice still an integral part Of our 12-step programs today so i hope to answer that question uh in this particular episode not not getting back too heavy in the history but you know bill and bob were were uh, both members of the oxford group and while bob was a lot more comfortable being a member and stayed active in it uh, until 1939 bill was not so comfortable and uh, he left kind of early he stayed for about two years was very active in the beginning, but then he began to sour on some of the principles. And that's what we're gonna get into today's. And one of the arguments that Bill got into with some of the New York members of the Oxford group, where he'd gotten sober, uh, was that they were accusing him of not being maximal. And what they meant by that was you weren't fully surrendered. And particularly they were troubled by his wanting to work exclusively with alcoholics and not with uh, all of the people that they wanted to send him uh, to become members of the group. You can kind of s- see this tension uh, between Akron and New York, any good study of uh, Dr. Bob and Bill and how they approached the thing, you- you're going to come away with that. And uh, of course, Akron was much more under the influence of Dr. Bob and New York followed the directions of Bill. So why did AA break away from the Oxford group? And uh, how did two-way prayer get lost? Well, there are a number of reasons and we're gonna get into them uh, in this episode. And one of them is uh, laid out well, actually several of them are in in a book called Pass It On. It was uh, written by AA, published by AA rather, in 1984. And this book begins by noting that uh, The Oxford group underwent some very bad publicity back in 1936, where uh, the founder, Frank Bookman, was quoted in a newspaper saying this. I thank heaven for a man like Adolf Hitler, who built a frontline defense against the antichrist of communism. Think what it would mean to the world if Hitler surrendered to God through such a man God could control a nation and solve every problem. Well, <laughs> the tr- truth behind that was Bookman was actually trying to convert some of the leaders of the Nazi movement. And uh, he wasn't pro-Nazi, uh, but the remarks certainly got him in trouble. And he had a couple of teams working in Germany. He wanted to protect them. So he, he passed it on, says he, you know, it was a misunderstanding. But it certainly did uh, bring about some very bad publicity uh, for the, uh, the Oxford group. Another thing the book mentions, and this is important, is that around this time, I'll quote from the book, it says, increasingly, it worked with national and world assemblies. A number of the early followers withdrew from the movement, dissatisfied with the shift from individual emphasis, to mass methods. When a, a spiritual group starts to get um, uh, popular, important, it tends to lose some of the early momentum uh, emphasis uh, that it used to have and, and goes for numbers rather than quality. And, uh, you know, when, I, when I, I got sober back in, uh, in 72, and uh, I was warned in Detroit, you know, stay away from AA clubhouses. It's almost like they're dens of iniquity. If things get too organized, too big, it's going to lose some of that intimacy, uh, uh, small groups. Oxford groups started with small groups, and, and so, did, uh, so did AA originally. Uh, they are meeting in people's homes. They, they, they got to know one another really well. And I think what I'm gonna do in, in this podcast, I wanna reference, I am not. I don't wanna to get too lost in the AA history, I, w- I wanna comment on uh, two-way prayer because that, that's what I'm really interested in. And I think there's something that we can learn from that, that two-way prayer groups, ideally, I would say, should stay relatively small. You know, 10, 15 people would be about the max that you'd meet weekly, really get to share deeply with one another, and appreciate and, and support one another in, in the listening to God business. If you're interested in starting a group, send me a letter. I I have kind of a form letter uh, that I'll send back to you and uh, have some guidance on, on you know, some different ways to start a group. So anyway, Bill wrote an important letter back in 1940, and this was to a member uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and he explained specifically why it was that he left the group and. Uh, Uh, I I think it'd be interesting. We'll try to relate it to two-way prayer. In some ways, it, it goes beyond that. So Bill writes this. I'm always glad to say privately that some of the Oxford Group presentation and emphasis upon the Christian message saved my life. Yet it is equally true that other attitudes of the Oxford Group nearly got me drunk again. And we long since discovered that if we were to approach alcoholics successfully, these attitudes would have to be abandoned. Recovery being a life or death matter for most alcoholics. It became a question of adopting that which would work and rejecting that which would not. And then he goes on to list eight specific reasons for for leaving the, uh, the Oxford group. I think they're pretty interesting. He says that number one, the principle of aggressive evangelism, so prominent as an Oxford group attitude, had to be dropped in order to get any results with alcoholics. Experience showed that this principle, which may have been absolutely vital to the success of the Oxford group, would seldom touch neurotics of our hue. We're very touchy people, we alcoholics and we don't like to be preached to we don't like to be told what to do and and he could sense that happening uh it it happened to him and and he was getting resentments towards members of the group because they were telling him how he should be working his program I think this does kind of boil over into into two-way prayer you know God last thing I want is a bunch of evangelists out there you know trying to shove two-way prayer down the throats of people who are in 12-step uh, recovery. It's not for everybody, you know? I think it is for some. It's for people who are wanting to go deeper. I think it's also, and I've found this to be true, for people who feel like they've tried AA or, or tried OA or CA or NA or whatever, whatever it might be. And they feel that it's just emphasis on meetings, meetings, meetings. And this is a different emphasis. It, 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 strongly we encourage meetings. I go to meetings. I think they're really helpful, but they weren't what was vital in the beginning. What was vital was learning a practice of prayer and meditation. And so if you can get people, uh, and I've seen this happen a number of times, people who were kind of burned out on the old way started getting into this and some new life uh, really came into their recovery. Second reason he said for leaving, excessive personal publicity or prominence in the work was found to be bad. Alcoholics who talked too much on public platforms were likely to become inflated and get drunk again. Our principle of anonymity, so far as the general public is concerned, partly corrects this difficulty. AA learned some things from the Oxford group. Wilson said he got steps 2 through 11 from the Oxford group but they also learned some things that they needed to do differently. And this was one of them, that at the level of press, radio, and film, uh, we should maintain personal anonymity. And and primarily, they did it in in part because uh, people were getting swelled heads. They were also afraid that people were going to know that they were alcoholics and they didn't want to uh, broadcast that uh, too widely but in in the oxford group it was a different focus they were focused on if they got somebody important to become a member of the oxford group like there were there was references to harry truman uh, some other politicians getting involved in it may west a film star bookman was pictured with her and he was tr- he figured if i can get important people then other people will follow they tried and this is one of the reasons with, why he was going after the Nazis, as naive as that may sound. But his his view was, if you can kind of convert the leadership, then the, the other people will follow along. And uh, in AA and 12-step, we try to approach it very differently, that no one is more important than the other. And we're not out to become stars and uh, all that kind of thing. And And I think Wilson was really right on with the focus on inflation, how the ego can become inflated, think itself really important. I don't need people. I don't need God. I don't need the group. Off we go. And we've seen lots and lots of people fall flat on their face. Uh, The third one he mentions is the four absolutes. This one's really important. And he said, the principles of honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love are as much a goal for AA members and are as much practiced by them as by any other group of people. Yet we found that when the word absolute was put in front of these attributes, they either turned people away by the hundreds or gave a temporary spiritual inflation resulting in collapse. So I, you know, uh, I've been uh, talking about this two-way prayer stuff for thirty years, and I've been talking about the four absolutes, and and m- I really hope people can get a different view of them because if it's presented wrongly, and oftentimes it is, uh, people think that we're sh- we're gonna we're gonna try to be absolutely honest, pure, and selfish, loving, and we're gonna castigate ourselves, you know, uh, knock ourselves down if we don't. Well, that's that's not it. The four absolutes were really important. Uh, they came from, uh, again, uh, as I said in the last episode, Frank Bookman borrowed things from different people of his day. And one of the things in putting together his program, and one of the things he borrowed were these four absolutes. And they came from Robert Speer, who's a Presbyterian, and he wrote a book called The Principles of Jesus. And he laid these four principles out saying, Jesus was absolutely honest, pure, unselfish, loving. And that is the direction that we should shoot for. They are goals towards which we're striving. The the, the best way I've learned to present these to people is like it's it's shooting for due north, you know? And you're not gonna find due north. If you're a pilot, you set your little instrument on due north, and then you drift. We're all gonna drift. If we set it on kind of north, sort of North, half-assed North, you know, (laughs) we're likely to crash. So uh, that's the purpose of of the absolutes. Aim for perfection, but learn to settle for progress. Maybe a subtle distinction, but I think it's extremely important. Wilson said he put those principles into steps six and seven. And if you do a careful reading of the 12 and 12, you're going to come away with that uh, that interpretation that I just laid out here, that, that, that I'm heading for perfection, but I ain't going to get there. And I know I'm not going to get there. Uh, and so I'm learning to settle for progress. Uh, the absolutes are still used and prominent in Akron, Ohio, again, where Dr. Bob was, and he was more friendly towards them than, than Bill Wilson was. Checking guidance is another This is number four. Go back to quoting from Bill. He says, it was discovered that all forms of coercion, both direct and indirect, had to be dropped. We found that checking in the hands of amateurs too often resulted in criticism, and that resulted in resentment, which is probably the most serious problem the average alcoholic is troubled with. So checking guidance, and I misunderstood this one for a long time. I know that they were supposed to check their guidance, the, the, the thoughts that came to them during their their two-way prayer writings. Did they meet the standards of the absolutes and some other things, but they were also to uh, be checking them with other people. And, and some of the leaders were, were saying, well, that's not from God, or they're doing their quiet time writing, their two-way prayer writing, And they're saying hey charlie god told me in my guidance this morning that you ought to be doing this well can you imagine how how out of hand that can get i mean we have hard enough time uh leading our own lives and uh if i'm going to lead in the lives of other people i'm going to step on some toes and this is an example of where the leaders of some of the oxford group meetings in new york would tell bill is Look, Bill, we're getting in our guidance that you should not be just working exclusively with alcoholics. You should be working with everybody that we send you. And this this, this was really rubbing against him. So be, we gotta be really careful about that. Receiving guidance for others uh, is, is very dangerous thing. Don't go there. Don't go there, get your own guidance. And, and you can have somebody check on that for you if you really trust their judgment, if they're also doing the two-way prayer and you're, you're kind of really concerned about what it is you might be hearing. And it, it kind of falls into this next one, and this is relating to guidance. Wilson writes, while most of us believe profoundly in the principle of guidance, it was soon apparent that to receive it accurately Considerable spiritual preparation was necessary. So let's be careful uh, with this one. You know, I start practicing two-way prayer and everything is immediately coming from God. Well, look out, look out. Considerable spiritual preparation was necessary to start getting it right. I went to see a guy by the name of James Houck. I've mentioned this before. But he got sober the day after Bill Wilson got sober back in, uh, in the winter, I guess it was, of 1934 and stayed sober in the Oxford group. I went to see him about two-way prayer and uh, how they did it in the group. And he said something I will never forget. He said, it's all about the four absolutes. Two-way prayer is all about learning to become more honest, more unselfish, more pure, more loving, and that's a lifetime job. But if you approach your two-way prayer that way, then you can really kind of begin to see that this is a lifelong practice. It's not like getting a fortune cookie at a Chinese restaurant. Oh, this is what God said, this is what I'm gonna do. You know, that can get you into a lot of trouble. But it's refining your honesty, becoming more honest, becoming more pure in your emotional life, in your physical life. I was drinking 26 cups of coffee when I sobered up. You know, it's like uh, they might have had to talk to me about purity there. You know, it's a little excessive in, in, in some areas. Gambling, sex, it, it gets people in trouble. So we're watching these other areas of our lives. And that's what we talk about, isn't it, in steps six and seven? Pay attention to those things. Yeah, I surrendered the addiction. But, you know, addictions pop up uh, in all sorts of other forms. And I need to be very watchful of those things. Uh, Number six is love and tolerance. Let me quote from Bill again. He says, we found that the principles of tolerance and love had to be much more emphasized in their actual practice than they were in the Oxford group, especially tolerance. We had to become much more inclusive and never, if possible, exclusive. We can never say to anyone or even insinuate that he must agree to our formula or be excommunicated. Watch out there, you 12-step Nazis, be careful of this. The atheist may stand up in an AA meeting denying God, yet reporting how he has been helped in other ways. Experience tells us he will presently change his mind, but nobody tells him he must do so. And this is where you see the, you know, these 12 steps are suggestions. They're very careful uh, not to antagonize the addict. Uh, to present it in the form of an experiment that he or she willingly uh, begins to do it. And once they begin doing it, they they start seeing the difference. Wilson made a comment once that AA is a spiritual kindergarten. And I misinterpreted that one uh, for a long time. I I, I thought it was maybe a, a little criticism of AA that he was saying, well, we're just a kindergarten after a while i came to understand it differently that what wilson was saying with that quote that aa is a spiritual kindergarten what he's saying there i believe it could be wrong but it's my my take on it is that it's intended to be a spiritual kindergarten it's intended to be a place where people can start and start growing spiritually and do it safely and not be forced into, well, you must do it this way, you must do it that way. No, no, no. It's very open ended. And that makes a hell of a lot more sense to me that that's what he meant by that remark, but I'd also caution that, uh, we can't stay in kindergarten. That the intention was also that, uh, it says in the book, you know, go get spiritual literature from other people, begin, begin exploring other things. Those are the people in 12-step who start to grow. You can become a 12-step fanatic. You can become a literalist. You can become an AA fundamentalist. And uh, it really keeps you from growing. I think uh, Richard Rohr says it best. He says that kind of an approach is a really good way to start. It's a really good way to have a sponsor or somebody who's telling you got to do this, you got to do that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good, good. I'm going to take instructions. But Rohr says it's a terrible way to end. And I think he's right. 12 steps presented properly should be an invitation to phenomenal, endless spiritual growth. Not meaning you got to go back over every, every single step and just do it till you get it perfectly. Just meaning that you're growing in your, in your connectedness to your higher power, that you're correcting the things that are wrong in your life, that you're becoming a better person, you're becoming who you and I were always meant to be. That's the kind of growth. And then, you know, steps 10, 11, and 12, uh, receiving guidance, receiving direction to our lives, learning to listen to the still small voice and that's the piece that's, uh, that for me was missing in the program and the thing that two-way prayer really began uh, opening up for me. No religious requirement for, for anyone uh, uh, was number seven. In this atmosphere, the orthodox, the unorthodox, and the unbeliever mix happily and usefully together. And in nearly every case, greater spiritual growth ensues. And that's true. I mean, we don't discuss politics uh we don't discuss religion but we do we do explore spirituality our connectedness with the divine uh, and we do it in ways that religion particularly if it's emphasizing a belief rather than practice can can get you into some real trouble Eighth, were we to make religious demands on people i'm afraid many catholics would feel they could not be interested and that was an important piece uh, in, in terms of why the Oxford group was uh, abandoned by the people, particularly in, in Akron and Cleveland and New York. Uh, but in Cleveland, particularly, there were a lot of Catholics who were starting to come into the program. And and the Oxford group was looked upon as a Protestant organization. Uh, I was Catholic in my background. I remember when I first started going to AA. It was like oh this is different this is a little strange you know they say the our father a little differently than we do i have to be suspect well that was 50 years ago but but you have to be very sensitive to where people were coming from and his final wilson's final line and pass it on i think is really important and helps put this whole thing in perspective he says finally i'm often asked why i do not publicly acknowledge my very real debt of gratitude to the Oxford group? The answer is that unfortunately, a vast and sometimes unreasoning prejudice exists all over this country against the group and its successor, MRA, it changed its name to Moral Rearmament. My dilemma is that if I make such an acknowledgement, I may establish a connection between the Oxford group and Alcoholics Anonymous, which does not exist at the present time. I had to ask myself, Which was the more important that the Oxford group receive credit and that I have the pleasure of so discharging my debt of gratitude. Or that alcoholics everywhere have the best possible chance to stay alive, regardless of who gets credit, so this whole connection with the Oxford group when the big book was written it got pushed down it didn't want any references made to the group. Uh, so so that people wouldn't confuse what Wilson and the first 100 were, were trying to do with the Oxford group. But at the same time, I think they also pushed down the emphasis on the two-way prayer. Now that we understand a little bit about two-way prayer, that it's, it's listening for guidance, it's writing that guidance down. See if reading the big book doesn't uh, bring this to life in a new way, it certainly did for me. And I would start with a description that Bill gave when he started writing the 12 steps. Let's listen to this, this is on page 198. As he, Bill, started to write, he asked for guidance and he relaxed. The words began tumbling out with astonishing speed. He completed the first draft in about half an hour, then kept on writing until he felt he should stop and review what he had written that's two-way prayer that's two-way prayer you know it's being described right there it's what he did and 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 it says in in, uh dr bob and the good old timers that uh, he kept practicing this with lois until the day he died so let's look at some of the big book quotes now and 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 see them in the light of two-way prayer because once i started learning this process I looked at the big book and said, oh, that's what they mean. So here here goes, uh, quotes from the big book. On awakening, you all know this one. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. So the day always begins with uh, a morning quiet time set aside uh, to align one's thinking with God and to bring an attitude of, I want to be of maximal service uh, to God in this. We ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. The focus was on listening and receiving, not telling God what God should do for them, but listening quietly for what God might be asking of them. So they brought their problems, they brought their troubles directly to God. They're not reading somebody else's um, uh, meditation book. In effect, they're writing their own. And no problem was considered too big or too small. You know, what should I do about? I'm troubled by this, that, and the other thing. Please give me guidance. And then starting to listen, starting to open your mind up. And I'm convinced this is somewhat of a shift from left brain thinking to to swaying a little bit more to the right brain. Uh, You still have your ego there. It's still cooperating in this process, but now it's open to inspiration. It's open to intuition it's open to imagination you know don't be afraid of these things they believe that God had a plan for them a plan for their lives in the big picture and a plan for their day so so i'm asking God in the morning what would you have me do today what is your guidance for me for this day and then writing those things down and give me the power to carry it out What is your will and the power to carry that out? Making sense? This was was a a whole new world for me. You know, I'm reading my little 24-hour book, and I'm reading somebody else's writings, the writings of two uh, poor women in England. Why am I reading their meditations and not writing my own? Book goes on. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. We don't struggle we're often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. So they watched, they listened, and they recorded their thoughts in a notebook. They wrote them down as they flowed, writing what came, not editing them in advance. Just let it flow, let it come out, all right? Then they would check them by the four absolutes. Uh, You know, if it was go rob a bank, well, you might want to, you might want to, Cross that one out. (laughs) It ain't going past the honesty test, right? All right. But if it's to call Fred or or Maria or check on somebody, you know, Anne, Dr. Bob's wife used to check on the people she was helping almost every day. She'd call them and she'd ask them, Did you hear something today? Did you get some guidance today? What was it? I'd love to hear it. I love to hear people's guidance. I love to hear their two-way prayers. Why? Because I'm hearing love poured out, you know, and, and, and so often what is being said to them relates also to me, maybe not in the specifics of do this, that, or the other thing, but in, in the general sense of it's don't be afraid, have courage, live your life with me today, things like that that come through. I need to hear those too. They expected the right answers would come if their receiving sets were in order Now this is going back uh <laughs> quite a few years receiving sets it's like listening on the radio well i, I guess it's like uh, um um if, if you're listening to um uh, uh the internet uh, sometimes it, get, it gets fuzzy um uh, uh, i get like spectrum of what do they call it you know uh where, where the movie's coming down and then that little blue circle starts going around because the receiving set isn't in order. You know, it's streaming. Well, watch your stream. Is, is the stream flowing or is it not flowing? And if it's not flowing, oftentimes it's myself that is putting some blockages in there. What is that? What's going on there? You know, and, and, and oftentimes the voice may tell you, you know, Bill, you're trying, you're trying too hard to do this on your own power. Relax, listen. They relaxed, they let go, they listened. And this is an expression I love, the be, for the beyond that is within to speak. I, I, I don't, I'm not a believer that God's sitting up in a cloud whispering these words into my mind. Uh, I'm a believer that the great reality is within, within you, within me. And that it has business to do with us. And what is the business? The business is that you become all that you were meant to be. The business is that I do the same. And the voice is not going to be happy (laughs) if we're not doing that. Now, it's not going to yell at us. My voice in 50 years has never yelled at me. But it has pushed me and prompted me and come back and said, "Are are you ready now? And so what's happening? He says, uh, this this is the big book. We find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. We come to trust in it. Soon it becomes, the book says, a working part of the mind. That's what we're talking about here. That the little ego needs to get right sized. and I'm going to do a whole chapter on this ego thing and how that works, Uh, that the ego needs to become right sized to do what to listen to listen to the inspiration, the intuition. um, That 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 will come bubbling up if if I will only be open to it. goes on to say as we go through the day we pause when agitated or doubtful. Uh, and ask for the right thought or action so it's primarily a morning activity, but the Oxford group people used to carry a little notebook around with them one of those little. Those tiny notebooks I guess you could do it on your phone, you know, and they would they would get into listening mode and I, i'm presented with a problem Lord, what should I do today. get the guidance. If it passes the test, honest, pure, unselfish, loving. You know, and it's not moved to Chicago because I, 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 you'd want to check that one out. Go ahead and do it. Do I do this? Do I do that? And then don't look back. Don't look back. You know, you did the best you could. You know, how many of us guilt ourselves constantly? Well, if you're starting to live this way, then you're starting to take the guidance, learn from it. I did the best I could. Bob said something very interesting. He said, guidance doesn't have anything to do with, is it right or is it wrong? You don't need guidance then. You need a conscience. Guidance has to do with, I'm looking at two things and one is right and the other is right. And I'm not sure which one I should do. That's when guidance is needed. And if you do the best you can, you know, you do it and don't look back. Don't guilt yourself, you know? Again, if it's, if it's a hugely important one, then you're gonna be checking with other people. If it's a very important one, I, I will bring it to prayer six, eight, 10 times and see what's coming up. Is it always the same decision, moving from a job to uh, another job? Or you moving from a relationship to another relationship or no relationship? You're going to take that to prayer repeatedly. I'm going to talk about that with other people. Here's what I'm hearing, Joe. What do you think? You know, sounds like ego slipped in there again, Bill. Look out. Doesn't mean I I have to go by what Joe says, but I need to pay attention to Joe. All right? I hope that makes some sense. Here's um, a line from Bookman, famous quote, he says, definite, accurate, adequate information can come from the mind of God to the minds of men. This is normal prayer. Ain't the kind of prayer I was taught uh, when I was a kid. Ain't the kind of prayer that most people practice today. But this is the kind of prayer that I think we're being led to uh, in in, in following the the 12-step path praying only for the knowledge of his will for us only and the power to carry that out. In the 12 and 12 Wilson says there's direct linkage among self-examination, watching yourself, meditation and prayer taken separately. These practices can bring much relief and benefit, but when they are logically related and interwoven, the result is an unshakable foundation for life and i think that's what the the program offers us it's not just let's go through the steps uh you know for 50 60 years and then start all over again and back no it's a way of living living in an excited way you know that there's energy flowing into your prayer life that there's love and 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 peace and goodness emanating from the work that you're doing in the world. And, and, and it doesn't matter what work you're doing. It doesn't have to be big work. You know, it just has to be meaningful work. It has to be purposeful work. And when I'm out there helping alcoholics, addicts, food addicts, whatever it might be, I don't know anything that's more purposeful and meaningful than that. But then teach them how to do it themselves, teach them not to keep relying on you, but that they have this very same source of wisdom within themselves. And they need to get in touch with it. They need to grow it and they need to uh, live it and teach it. Okay. Enough preaching. (laughs) Sorry for that, guys. In the next episode, then we're going to explore uh, what I'm kind of dealing with in chapter four in the book uh, which breaks down some of the specific pointers uh, for making two-way prayer more effective as a tool in your life and recovery. So um, I've done that in some of the workshops, but uh, in the book I have an opportunity to go deeper and uh, make some points that I just wasn't able to make uh, in the workshop. So uh, we're going we're to start reviewing some of those and hopefully it will be of interest and uh, and some help to people. So again, hope this stuff was interesting it just really changed my life and i'm just seeing it change the lives of so many people so go to the website you can learn uh, how to do two-way prayer there's a video there and then pretty soon we'll have the book and uh, there's a bunch of handouts so you don't need to wait <laughs> don't wait for the book get started with the damn thing uh get going uh god has something to say to you so again hope was helpful god bless thanks for listening keep coming back